And we're on our own personal journey into darkness. Hello, I'm Paul McLean. And I'm Helen McLean. And welcome to Poirot Greatest Detective. Today we'll be exploring the adventure of Johnny Waverley. Which is our second adventure out of three episodes. <laughs> Woohoo! So this was transmitted third. And that was on the 22nd of January, 1989. Originally started filming in July, 1988. So while it was transmitted as the third one in the series, it was actually filmed second. Oh. So I'm not quite sure, again, why they show that out of order. But it was second film, but third released. And this was actually started filming it only 14 days after they started filming the very first one. So they're in quite... I'm quite surprised they had that much of a break in between episodes in a way because you were thinking about some of the american yeah i guess which which do a essentially an episode a week for 26 weeks and just go (laughs) it's very different in britain you understand (laughs) a bit more restful (laughs) yeah once again it was adapted for television by clive exton but this time the director is rennie rye not Ed Bennett. And I wondered why that was the case. Now, we have one of the holy texts in front of us, David Suchet's Poirot and Me, published by Headline in 2013. So this is basically David Suchet's memoirs Mm -hmm. of recording Poirot. And if we turn to page 58, it has something to say about that. Because of the schedule, Ed Bennett, who directed Clap and Cook, disappeared into the cutting room to edit his film, while Rennie worked on Johnny Waverley. Then Ed would return to direct the third, while Rennie went away to edit his. Alternating the two directors was the only way we could be sure to produce the films within the 20 weeks that we had been given by London Weekend Television, who were keen to transmit the series in January 1989, barely three weeks after we would finish shooting. So again, that seems quite unusual that they had two weeks downtime in between if they had such a short recording. Yeah, it's... It seems a bit strange. Well, I think things change over time, but this is the 1980s and things were... (laughs) It's different times. Well, also, we're not aware of how much production work goes into each of these. Yeah, absolutely. And these are historical period dramas, so it's not like it's doing modern day where you've got to source all your period pieces and sets and costumes and and get that in place. Absolutely. So all of that, before we actually begin, I mean, there is a bit we've got on the the story side of it. When was it first published? Uh, That was in 1924, uh, and it was in the sketch as part of the series The Grey Cells of Monsieur Poirot. So fairly early on, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. One of the early ones. But we're talking about the TV series, so plot. Okay, we'll move on to that. The plot. So the episode starts before the kidnapping, which is one of the variations to the short story. We'll discuss more of those later on. Mr Waverley interrupts Miss Lemon's description of her filing system to ask Poirot for his involvement after he's received a number of kidnapping threats about his young son. After approaching Jap, Poirot and Hastings head separately to the house of Mr Waverley to inspect it. Building works are evident but are halted uh, and are not ongoing. Overnight, Mrs Waverley is taken ill and the next morning, Poirot and Hastings lament the poor breakfast, discussing the lack of funds in the house, with Hastings noting that the fire in his room hadn't even been lit. 
As they head out for breakfast at the local pub, Mr Waverley is seen sacking most of his staff and then Jap arrived in a van with, I think, 11 policemen we counted. 11 policemen. 11 policemen out the back of quite a small van. And some van. of those had stripes on as yeah, well. They yeah, were sergeants. Yeah. On the way back from the pub, Hastings' car breaks down and he even speculates that this was deliberate. Poirot eventually gives up and starts walking back to the house, but is too late. At midday, according to the clock in Waverley's study, where he is waiting with Jap and his son Johnny, a man is apprehended outside. Both Jap and Waverley rush out, and the man is carrying what I can only describe as a kidnap kit containing chloroform and a, and a pad to put over his face. And it also has a letter saying something like, Aha, now your son's been kidnapped. At 12, and at this point, the stable clock strikes 12. A car drives past, beeping its horn, and young Johnny can be seen in the back of the car waving at his father. Poirot uh, looks to see around the house where a kidnapper could have got out of the house, as all the exits were covered by these many policemen that Jap had bought up from London. And at this point, Mrs Waverley points out to them that there's a priest hall and an implausible half a mile tunnel out to the nearby mausoleum. Poirot and Hastings follow this and on their return to the house, Poirot packs to leave. When Waverley says he hasn't done anything, Poirot gives Waverley a piece of paper on which he says is the address of Johnny's location. Uh, Mr Waverley finds it is blank, but Poirot responds to say that he is waiting for Mr Waverley to write down the address. They head to where Johnny is being kept safe by his nurse, who turns out to be Mr Waverley's niece, and Mr Waverley had masterminded the whole thing to access his wife's money. Dun, dun, dun. Well, come on to that tunnel. I noticed oh. you gave it a bit, a bit of a spoiler there by describing it as being implausible. Mm, yeah. Anyway, we shall start as we do with our archaeological backgrounds and historical <laughs> backgrounds in chronological order. Yes, absolutely. So, top of the show. And, yes, I'm trying to think. The opening scene is actually uh, Johnny Waverley playing is. with a little toy car. Yeah, and, and his parents discussing the fact that they've received these threats of kidnap letters saying, if you give us this much money now, nothing will happen. And that amount increases until it says, we're going to kidnap your son on this date and the... Ransom will be even more. It's like seventy-five thousand. Well, the, the this is this is ostensibly set in the mid nineteen thirties, and the ransom is for fifty thousand pounds. So, doing the calculations and taking fifty thousand pounds from the mid nineteen thirties up to today, early to mid twenty twenties, and we're looking at approximately three million pounds in today's money. I know how you love to use the calculator, the Bank of England calculator. I love the Bank of England <laughs> inflation calculator. It's so handy. So that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. I yeah. mean, and they're on their uppers. I mean, it's a grand mansion they're actually mm. living in. Rotham Park in Barnet in Hertfordshire, mm -hmm. which has actually been used for quite a few film yeah, locations. Yeah, if, if you look online, it's been on pretty much everything, including Jeeves and Worcester, apparently a bit of Bridgerton, a bit of... Uh, Downton Abbey. Morse. Uh, everything in between, basically. Gosford Park, Bridget yeah. Jones, the lot. I mean, yeah. it's really quite popular. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that once they get on the list of kind of yeah. filming venues, oh, we'll use that. They're, they're set up for it, yeah. So 
So back in the the flat in London, um, there's a lovely scene with Miss Lemon describing her filing system where she's cross-referenced everything and she's telling Poirot about it and she keeps going things like, see adultery, see also marriage, bigamy, see also marriage. We've got a fantastic quote. I think we should actually let Miss Lemon explain it in her own words. Take it away, Miss Lemon. Every one of your cases classified and cross-referenced five different ways. Five? Oh, yes. In this cabinet, names of witnesses. In this, name of perpetrator, if known. Victims trade a profession. Type of case. Abduction. Addiction. Adultery. See also under marriage. Bigamy. See also under marriage. Bonds. See also under marriage. I found Poirot slightly dismissive of Miss Lemon at this point a little bit, but I don't know if it's just teasing rather I than think dismissive. It's yeah. Already we have the little Poirot family yeah. in place. And because so and again, yeah. none of these other characters are in the story, not Jap, not Miss Lemon, not Hastings. So anyway, Mr. Waverley turns up and he's got this case and while he's explaining everything to Poirot, Hastings arrives to talk about his application to the Le Mans twenty four hour race. And I love how he gets, but the, the application form's rather confusing, or words to that, that effect. It just really adds that flavour well, of how Hastings is. It's still a prestigious race, mm. the 24-hour yeah, Le Mans. Yeah. I mean, the car that Hastings had, and it does, it does play quite a significant mm. point in this particular story. It's actually a Lagonda M45 T9 Rapide Open Tourer with a 4.5-litre engine. Mm. And of course, Lagonda was a mark of the Aston Martin company of course a very handsome car if i may say (laughs) don't mind if i do (laughs) although it's later in the story there's quite a lot of nice intercutting of johnny waverley playing with his toy car and hastings playing with the engine on his and tinkering trying to fix it after the breakdown it's quite nicely uh, intercut so After Mr. Waverley's come and asked Poirot to get involved, um, and this is one of the things I really struggled with because this is one of the key differences to the story, is in the short story, the kidnapping has already happened and it's Mrs. Waverley who gets Poirot involved Mm. um, because she thinks the police have done nothing. And you have to question why Mr. Waverley would have Poirot there at all. As people find out, asking Poirot to investigate something you really don't want him investigating is not a good move. Yeah, it's almost like he'd never heard of him and didn't know his reputation and thought, oh, if I have a famous detective here as well, that'll just add to my story. I can only assume. But it it doesn't really make any sense. I think it could have been got round even by my wife insisted I contact you. I don't know. I just found that a little bit strange. Why they'd taken that decision to write in that particular way. Yeah, yeah. or, you know, because what, what was his motivation of inviting Poirot? I think possibly to add uh, credence to the fact that I've invited him, a famous investigator mm. and he's still been kidnapped in this, oh, look at this terrible thing, and he's yeah. expecting Poirot to go, mon dieu, oh no, he's been kidnapped, leading credence to the whole mm. reasoning behind it. Yeah. Which was essentially to get money out of his wife. Yes. <laughs> the Squire Waverley. <laughs> Because she's the one with the money. Yes. We'll come on to that yeah. later. So although the police have been involved and, and um, Mr Waverley's dismissive of them, Poirot still insists on going to see Jap with the latest letter saying that he'll be kidnapped at 12 o'clock tomorrow. And and I can't remember if it's at this point or a little later on that Poirot speculates why as a kidnapper would you warn that it's coming? 
you know, the child could have been kidnapped any time when he wasn't being closely watched, which obviously plays into the plot later on. Mm. Poirot travels by train with Mr Waverley, uh, whereas Hastings drives up. And when they arrive at the house, you can see that there's um, repair works have been underway, but they've been halted. There's scaffolding and dust sheets and some ladders even left. Still left in place on the facade of the building. And Mm -hmm. also, Mr Waverley, Squire Waverley, pointedly, forlornly points out that they no longer own the land surrounding their mansion. They used to. So obviously they're kind of... What you might call on their uppers, mm-hmm. they're you know haven't got as much money as they used to. And then there's one of my favourite lines in the story when they come into the um, drawing room and greet Mrs. Waverley and Hastings is already there, and she says with a rather pained expression on her face that Mr. Hastings has been kind enough to tell me all about his 24-hour race, <laughs> and it's just that thing where Hastings has got his latest obsession and he's just. <laughs> gonna tell anybody about it well Hastings is always about the latest thing yeah absolutely <laughs> and he always liked his cars yeah absolutely <laughs> and crocodiles mm-hmm. but anyway there's quite a lot of plot about the day you know the goings on in the house they have their dinner little Johnny comes in and says good night to them and then in, I think the next event that really has any sort of um relevance is, is Mrs Waverley being taken ill in the night Oh, that's right, yes. Yeah, with, with stomach cramps and the doctor's called and she's really not well. I think it's food poisoning or mm, something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then the next morning, as I said, the, the Poirot's very disappointed by the breakfast, which I think Hastings describes as, we thought he was eating scrambled eggs, but he said, I think it's kedgeree, but I can't find anything other than rice. <laughs> <laughs> and it's literally just bowl after bowl after bowl of, yeah. quote, Kedgeree. And and Poirot's really disappointed by the lack of the famous English oh, <laughs> country house yes. breakfast. With Here the... he is in his own words. Yeah. Hastings, where is this famous English breakfast? Well, didn't you notice at dinner last night? Just one potato each, not a big one. One cutlet. Oh, may we? But from an English dinner, one expects no more. But breakfast. So they decide to solve that problem. They do, yeah. But they have a discussion first about start speculating that maybe they didn't have the money. Mm. <laughs> I like how Hasting points out that they didn't have that much food to eat in the evening, but Poirot's like, well, that's just what the English have. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> but the breakfast... <laughs> the famous English breakfast. Yeah. Still famous today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, so they head out to the pub for a, a slap-up breakfast with beer, and then they sing on the way home, which is... <laughs> Slightly peculiar. One man went to mow. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Four men went to mow, went to mow a meadow. Four men, three men. Four men, three men. But the car breaks down. Yeah. And while he's trying to fix it, and it's not clear whether this is true, but Hastings makes an observation that it maybe it's been done deliberately. Mm. And it turns out his petrol gauge is stuck, so actually maybe it wasn't deliberately. And, and how would anyone have known they were going to go out, as Poirot points out? <laughs> this does not bode well for Hastings' Le Mans no. <laughs> race coming up. Because it is, it, is, it is a good point. If somebody was a, you know, a real Moriarty mastermind, maybe they would have fixed mm. the car so he wasn't there. But that takes an awful lot of forethought and planning and knowing yeah. what you're doing. And they wouldn't have known he was going to run out of petrol or... Well, yeah. or something like that, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it probably was just 
the car playing up, which does happen with Hastings cars. Yes. We have seen him working under cars <laughs> quite a bit. And he, when he, when they go back to the mansion, he's just like covered, covered in, in oil, oil on his face and everywhere <laughs> trying to fix it. Because yeah. Poirot has had to walk. Yes, and he was not happy. And he's not at all seen with his feet in a ball, isn't he? But while that's going on, it's the actual kidnap takes place. It's telling because Johnny's in the room with his mother and, and her companion or secretary, wherever she is, Miss Collins, who as a character isn't really explored. I sort of felt like, because he'd fired all his staff, but he kept Miss Collins because he said she was she was reliable. And he sort of think, well, why is she in on it? But I think it was just because she would then sit with his wife and give her an alibi, maybe. Do you think the the pretense, well... The firing of the staff, when you have very few staff left, was that just an excuse or a face-saving way of cutting staff costs by saying, how do we let these staff um, go? Potentially, but I think also um, to get them out of the house so mm. there's less witnesses, there's yeah. less people around to, to interfere. So I think it's done deliberately for that purpose, but it might have that added benefit. I don't know. Um, cause, yeah, because Johnny's sitting upstairs with his mum and with Miss Collins and then his dad takes him out to deliberately sit downstairs with him and Jap when actually, arguably, he'd have been safer upstairs with his mother. But that's because <laughs> he had this whole other yes. plot going on. The mastermind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the clock in the study strikes 12. They think, phew, everything's okay. There's a man apprehended outside, and then they all rush out to go and see what this man's doing. All of them, yeah. Yeah, and leave. Well, it's gone 12, so everything's okay. Everything must be fine. So and leave out they go. Johnny on his own. Turns it... out not to be a good thing to do. No, why? Well, because he gets kidnapped. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. <laughs> Come on, keep up with the well, Here we go. Yeah, but it's done deliberately, isn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I assume that it's his nurse who turns out to be um, Mr. Waverley's niece who's come to, to get him. Because it, well, it, it makes sense. When you see all this in retrospect, it's like, why isn't Johnny screaming and yelling? Yeah, and all exactly. This kind of, well, because he knows the person who's taking yeah. him on a, on a jolly jaunt. Yeah, let's go down this yeah. tunnel. Mm. Do we discuss the tunnel now? Should we, should we get to the tunnel? I know this is a bit of a bet noir for you. <laughs> let's talk priest holes. Okay. So, in the short story, it is just a priest hole, which was just a hidey hole for Catholic priests to be hidden if um, rich landowners wanted to still remain Catholic and have mass in secret, and then if anybody came a-knocking, they could hide the priest away. I mean, this, we're talking about the Elizabethan yeah. period, ostensibly. So you're talking... 16th, early 17th yeah, century. which is another issue because this house is clearly Georgian, hmm. which is later. So a I... lot of these uh, English mansions were built to a Georgian pattern. Yeah. So, in fact, so it they wouldn't... actually say in the story is it was the 1760s yeah, it was re... when... when It was rebuilt. It was rebuilt because this is fire. the new house, yeah. So that priest hall must have existed in the first version of the building. They must have kept it. I'm not surprised. The size oh, of it! Oh, that tunnel... Now, normally, if they were building a new house in the Georgian period, they build it on a different bit of the estate. Is usually what what oh, would really? happen. Oh, yeah, okay. quite quite often, and and then you have the site of um, the former. Not every time. Right, okay. um, I guess if this one was a fire, it was a rebuild on the same site. And as you said, I'm not surprised because of this tunnel. The problem I have with this tunnel. You have many problems with this tunnel. <sighs> with these tunnels, 
Every time I do a project at work and there is a mansion or a manor house, somebody will ask me, oh, what if there's a tunnel? And my response to that is, there is never a blinking tunnel. They can't see your eyes roll into the back of your head. There is never a tunnel. (laughs) (laughs) Only here, there is a tunnel. And what a tunnel! It's huge! Absolutely It's not for a priest, it's for an entire monastery. And it's rock cut, hewn out of solid rock for half a mile. It's it's at least 15 feet high, and probably that wide at the bottom, and goes into an arch, and it's half a mile long through solid rocks, like... These these priests had certain standards for their exit because they wanted I'm to not get crawling you know, half a mile to the mausoleum. It's like yeah. wow, okay. I mean, nearly every manor house has a rumor of a of a tunnel a to, uh, you know, oh, so the monks could get to the pub or for smuggling or for well, like a, a priest hall escape. I get you know, there's a whole host of reasons to get padded about i have never ever come across one with a tunnel no cellars yes maybe a, a very tunnel. short thing, but a 15 foot high, at least 50 maybe 20 feet high and that had to be below ground tunnel. in the bedrock so yeah, think how deep to, down that was i mean there was a long? massive staircase it took a hundred years it. no no one, no one's escaping <laughs> this is a hundred year project with chisels <laughs> and hammers to get through i mean at no, least no wonder they kept it in the georgian rebuild Wow. We're still building it, so you can build the house on top of it. Yeah, you know that project you started for this thing? Well, we no longer need it because the entire country has moved on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh. Um, but at least Poirot was wearing his usual patent leather footwear, yes. not his HP slippers. Oh, yeah, his Harry Potter slippers. His Harry Potter slippers. Because <laughs> his name is Hercule. Yes. That is very much And so he does correct that, doesn't he? He does. Because I said it, then the guy went, Hercule, Hercules Poirot, and I went, Hercule. And then Poirot did the same. We must get some of those slippers. Yeah, we've we've commented on those before, I'm sure, when we've been watching it. Yes, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, he's a big Harry Potter fan, obviously. <laughs> That's how he solves all the crimes. <laughs> Magic! Oh, dear. Anyway, that tunnel... Um, yeah, so I guess that's another difference with the story is that Mr. Waverley hides his son in the priest hall temporarily and Poirot spots it because they haven't quite dusted out the base of the tunnel properly and he's obviously put like some of his toy, his son's toys in the priest hall to keep yes. him occupied and they spot some paw prints and, and they have a whole discussion about, oh, that must have been a small dog. Yes, a very small dog, because it would have been one of the toys and they hadn't quite swept out the dust. Everything else is clear of dust apart from this one corner. And he then later takes his son to London to stay with his old nurse rather than... So again, the difference between the original story yeah. and the TV yeah. episode. Yeah. He flaunts the kidnapping because you can see that as the car is leaving with Johnny in, they're beeping the horn and Johnny's like, waving on the back It's not what window. a kidnap would normally do, like, beep, beep, yeah. here I am, stealing the and child, in, follow me. And beep, in the beep, story, yeah. the police immediately follow the car and actually when they find the car, it turns out it's somebody else altogether who's just given a lift to a, a, a little boy in one of the neighbouring villages mm. who just so happens to have blonde hair and look quite similar. So actually the, the, the story, the published story, is, is somewhat more logical mm. and sensible yeah. than the TV episode. Yeah, absolutely. But you still have that same ending with the drama of the flourisher. Here is the address written down. Oh, well, it's blank. Yeah. Well, I'm waiting for you to write it down. But the case, 
My son, you haven't done anything. But I have done everything, monsieur. Then where is he? Ah. I will give you the address. It's a blank sheet. Because I am waiting for you to write it down for me. He's no fool. No, he is not. So he's worked it all out. I think he worked it out quite earlier on because there's one point where he says that, oh, he'll be safe. He'll be like, the, he describes it and he talks about it being the goose that lays the golden egg or some variation of, of such. Because I think he deliberately misses misses those English phrases. I think he deliberately gets them wrong. So he tells Miss Lemon to hold the castle. He knows what he's yeah, doing. Yeah. It's his form of fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I think he's worked it out much sooner, which is why he's really unbothered when they get back from the pub. Well, it's interesting because in, in this particular case, it's, it's very clear. Poirot explains his thinking. Mm. He said it's obviously an inside job. Yeah. You know, but who has access? Who could poison uh, Waverley's wife, Ada? Yeah. Who could set the clock forward 10 leave, minutes? Leave the note on leave his the pillow. Note. Who could do, who in the house could do all of these things? Yeah. And there is only one logical answer, yeah. which is the squire, Waverley himself. But he's got his butler in on it. Yes, as well. very, very. Yeah. The butler is loyal to him. Not the wife. The butler. Now, should we should we explain this dynamic between uh, Squire Waverley and his wife mm-hmm. Ada? Yeah. So, this comes out that um, there is an explanation here. Basically, Squire Waverley's wife has all the money. She's the rich person in the family, not him. And they they tell you in the story that actually it comes from the fact her father was an industrialist and he made all his money, and she grew up essentially without any money, probably only middle class rather than working class. But her dad worked his way up and made the money and that's where it comes from. So he's old money, she's new money. Yeah. This is this is not an uncommon theme yeah. and in the, these stories. And the butler makes a comment about that, didn't he, about she's made changes to the house because this isn't how she was... She wasn't raised with it or some, yeah. something like that. But it is a thing um, throughout English society at the time because the aristocracy was effectively running out of money in the 19th century. And also you've got increasing death taxes coming in, which were quite onerous. And so let's look at another famous historical fact with Downton Abbey. Yeah. <laughs> because Lord Grantham of Highclere Castle... Yeah. No, we mean Downton Abbey. Yeah. He marries... Uh, his wife is basically the daughter of a rich American yeah. industrialist. And that's how the money comes back into Downton Abbey to keep it afloat and going. So it, it seems to be a common thing, at least in fiction and probably in real life, where the aristocracy were marrying new money to yeah. keep the old you know, piles keep running. Keep it going, yeah. yeah. And so she's the one with the money and Poirot knows this. Yeah. She clearly isn't interested in in paying for the house and that's why all the renovations have stopped. Why? She lives there. I know, that's what I was thinking is, you think she'd be proud of, look at my grand house I live in now. And This is where I'm bringing up my family. Yeah. My son lives here and plays in these grounds. My son's oh, going to no. inherit this. Falling masonry. Ooh, dangerous <laughs> stairs. Ooh. I mean, Maybe yeah. she wants a nice apartment in town. I don't know. You can have both. Yeah. That's, you know, super rich. Anyway, so she's the one with the money. And we're told this, but she doesn't actually, we don't see evidence of that. No. It's just we're told that she's the one with all the money. So he clearly wanted to get the kidnapping fee from his wife and then he could spend it on repairing his house. Kicks and giggles. (laughs) Rather than actually 
maybe trying to explain to her why he needed it. I don't know. <laughs> private members club. I mean, was there still a time? I guess it's, this is beyond the time because this is set in the 1930s. Where when, once you married your spouse, if your spouse had the money, if you were the, the man in the marriage, that money, you know, yeah, all the chattels that, that would be coming. changed with the. I think it's the Married Women's Act, which was sometime around the early 1870s right, from okay. memory. But before that, as soon as you married. Your husband had the money, no matter what. Yeah, all your chattels were yeah. his. Yeah. So he couldn't just say, your money's mine now. She yeah. still had her wealth as hers that she yeah. controlled. Yeah. But it is solved. Of course. Because Poirot's handed this piece of paper and, and Mr Waverley knows the, the game is up. Uh, so he takes Poirot and Hastings to where Johnny is being looked after by his nurse who's just been noisily sacked that morning and she's dressed up in a chauffeur's outfit yes yeah and it's um and it turns out that she's his niece so she's in on it as well (laughs) and they all return home and he just he just leaves it to him to say i'm sure you can come up with some reason about how how you've managed to get johnny back So Poirot allows the squire Waverley to save face. Yes. He's not going to expose yeah. him. He says just, you know. Despite the fact he's wasted police time and he's had 12 police officers, including oh, a, de- yeah. a detective chief inspector and two sergeants. At least, and yeah, it's like just all piling in the yeah. back of a van from London. Yeah. Never mind that. And then, but, you know, he's not going to get away completely scot-free because, well, there is a matter of Poirot's bill. Well, yeah. Your name is an old and honoured one. Do not jeopardise it again. I shall be sending you my bill. So he's basically letting that one go. Yeah. It's one of the occasions where he says, I'm not going to pursue this yeah, further. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. This does occur. Does, it does happen occasionally. Occasionally, this yeah, does happen. Yeah. Quite famously in some cases, yeah. as we'll find out yes. years down the line of this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so with that, we do have a section. Should we move on to, uh, to some of the cast yeah. in the show? I recognise that chap. Now, I do not recognise many chaps or chapesses in this particular episode, to my eye. But, again, we have David Suchet's memoir of the series, Poirot and Me, and he actually mentions about the person who plays Marcus Waverley, the squire, the father of the kidnapped child, and that's played by Geoffrey Bateman, who's actually a friend of David Suchet's, and he has this to say about it in his memoir. Geoffrey and I definitely worked together before, at the Connaught Theatre in Worthing in 1971, when he played a samurai warrior in a stage version of the classic 1950 Japanese film drama Rashomon. It was very early in my career, and I directed all the fight scenes, as well as playing the bandit. Now Geoffrey was playing the landowner whose huge country house seems to be falling down around his ears while his son is in danger. So, I mean, this is the thing about something that, in all acting, not just British mm. acting, it, it's a suitably small enough yeah. area where, you you know, over time you will just run into people. You know each other, yeah. yeah. And it can be years and years apart. Now, Geoffrey Bateman has quite a long IMDb list. I think probably one of the most famous things he's known for is Leon. So also known as The Professional, mm, yeah. which is that Luc Besson film mm. from the 1990s mm-hmm. starring Jean Reno, Gary Oldman and Natalie Portman mm-hmm. as the SWAT chief. Now, looking through the list again, he's done an awful lot of video game kind of voiceovers mm-hmm. as well. But he's been in many, many, many films over the years. I mean, I, I thought the same when I looked at um, the actor who played the butler. 
um, who actually has also had an uncredited role in Star Wars. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yes. I think he played one of the uh, Imperials uh, yeah. on board... The Death Star. The Death Star. Yeah. Peter. Now, I remember the story a bit about that because I read about that. And it said that uh, whereas like Alec Guinness said, I'll do this film, but I'll take a percentage yeah. of the profits and the merchandise. I thought that's famously what Harrison Ford did. He probably did as well. Yeah. And which made them an absolute fortune mm. because mm-hmm. it just keeps on coming. Other actors were just given like, well, well, you know, you can take a little percentage, but we can't pay you or we can just give you money. Yeah. And Patrick Jordan, who played... Treadwell the butler, he just took a flat fee. Curses! <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think he was in it very much, so no, he wouldn't they, have taken anything more. But yeah. Normally we've got our trivial matters section, but I think we've covered quite a bit mm. of it as we've gone along in this particular mm-hmm. case. So, how about time for a tally? Good heavens! So, in this episode, we have one mention of Little Grey Cells by Poirot when he's down in the tunnel and how they work, even in the dark, as I recall. I think even better in the dark. Even better in the dark. In this one, Hastings tends to change how he exclaims. So, in episode one, it was two lots of good heavens. In episode two, he did a, well, I'm jiggered. Uh, And in this episode, we had an I say and a good God. (laughs) So we're counting all of those yes, under the yes, good heavens tag. Absolutely, okay. I think so. It's, it's basically Captain Hastings ejaculates and then we're yes. just counting that. Yeah, absolutely. So he's got two of those this episode and one little grey cells. Hooray! <laughs> ding, ding. We're going to have to keep that counter going. <laughs> so we may conclude. Overall feelings about the episode? I think because it's quite a lot of difference to the short story and not all of it makes as much sense to me. I don't know where this ranks for me. I guess out of the three we've seen, oh, I don't know. I still think the Clapham Cook is better. It was a good, strong opener. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I enjoyed it. Um, Again, the Clapham Cook for me also remains a strong Mm. opener out of the current set. I mean, this was... Again, the second one filmed, mm. and they only started the first one 20 days before yeah, yeah. this one started filming. So, you know, it's keeping them busy. Yeah, and they're probably still finding their feet a little yeah. bit. And... I, I loved Miss Lemon's explanation yeah. of her filing system. <laughs> that was absolutely yeah, brilliant. Yeah. It does very much hone this down, mm. how she's trying to corral all this information that Poirot produces yeah. into this way of finding... This you know, amazing filing system. Correlating those contents is really useful. Which you'd, which you'd think that Poirot would be very happy with, because it, you know, gives, a, gives yeah, him absolutely. all that cross-referencing. I don't think we're seeing much development in the kind of Poirot family besides playing to their strengths where, where you're seeing Miss Lemon's organisational yeah. skills. I think I think Hastings we see a lot more development with because he spends more time with him. So yeah, that's... more demonstration of, of he likes the latest thing. Yeah, and, and you know, I, you, could, you actually see in this episode how Poirot actually has him interview one of the staff mm. and that miss, it was the secretary for, for Mrs Waverley and... Initially, I thought, oh, was he just taking it upon himself? But when Poirot comes in, he actually asks him, like, did you find anything out? And he'd obviously asked him to to discuss it. And actually, he was blaming the nurse, wasn't he? Thinking about it, Hastings. And actually, she was involved. Ah. So, yeah, I've just thought of that now. Well, this is the thing. Um, it, I mean, sometimes it can be thought, well, obviously Hastings is, you know, he's the everyman. He's the, he's supposed to be quite. Yeah. Slight. He's yeah. not. He's he's a he's a normal person against yeah. Poirot's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. And normal people can still work things out. Yes. 
Hastings is not a stupid man. He may no. occasionally be foolish, and yeah. sometimes you need people to be foolish in the plot, but uh, yeah. he's, he's yeah. a decent chap. Yeah, And I think we see Jap develop much further as the series continue, and at the yes. moment he's still... It's almost like he's still working Poirot out and being a little bit more abrasive, and that, that reduces later. Although in the previous episode, they'd been out at the fireworks night with well, him, hadn't they? that's the interesting thing, because, yeah. as we said, uh, Murder in the Muse was filmed third, mm. but shown second. Mm-hmm. So by the time they got onto the filming of the third episode, they were really starting to gel. Yeah. And you can tell that in mm. the kind of camaraderie mm-hmm. at the opening of Murder yeah, in the Muse yeah. at the bonfire, where they're starting to open up a bit more, as, as well as, I guess, actors with each other, as well as the characters themselves yeah. so that's i think that's pretty much it we've yep. got for this episode we are trying to keep it rather snappy like hastings crocodile <laughs> so we should move on to uh, signing off so next time we'll be looking at four and twenty blackbirds having reread the short story i'm quite interested in seeing how that plays out on the screen again I mean, we have seen it twice and i've forgotten, forgotten. I, I do i forget this is why you can always watch poirot again <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't forget to check out grittestdetective.com for more information and we'll add any errata or extra bits that we find out or anything that we've uh, we've missed. Now, I did want to add in our accuracy disclaimer, (laughs) which I thought after, because we discussed things like Mm. Whitehaven Mansions Mm -hmm. previously, I thought, actually, we should say this. Now, for our background information, we often consult a lot of different sources. Sometimes those sources are contradictory. Mm -hmm. Some of them are just blatantly wrong, like how many floors are there yeah. in Whitehaven Mansions? And the website will say one thing and another website will say another. Yeah. Then you count them and say, well, that one's obviously wrong. <laughs> you know, because we gather information from lots of different sources, not always vetted, it can be difficult to be... We try to be as accurate yeah. as we can. As the old saying goes, stealing from one is plagiarism. Stealing from many is synthesis. So we do a lot of synthesising. So any corrections and errata will appear at the bottom of the comments section at greatestdetective.com associated with that episode. I think that's the best way to kind of yeah. do that. But we always enjoy the feedback if you have any comments. Yeah. Especially nice ones, please. <laughs> it's a hobby show. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Until next time, au revoir, mes amis. Au revoir. from Thin King Productions.